Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. We are now in the season of Lent, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus prayed the evening before his crucifixion, is marked in Holy Week, the apex of the season of Lent, on Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday commemorates Jesus' preparation for his crucifixion when he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Today I want to read the story for what lesson it offers on how to prepare to face our crises. It is one thing to go through a crisis, whether that is a personal crisis to do with one's health, finances, family, or the threat of violence. It is another thing to see the crisis coming and to know already beforehand that one does not have the resources to confront the crisis and defeat it. And it is as if to suffer twice within the crisis itself and the other in our minds in fear of what the crisis will do to us. In this commodity-based life where there is a pill or a gadget or a, an app for everything, it is fair to say that the world has not yet come up with a pill or a gadget or an app to make crises go away once and for all. In this period of the pandemic, where both the virus itself and the restrictions that are part of the public health protocols to prevent virus infection have proved very injurious. People are not only suffering from all this external pressure, but they have been forced to face the mental and psychological pressures of loneliness and fear. There is a paucity of human interaction. Videos and chat rooms are good as they go, but people also need touch and contact and fellowship. Ironically, the most vulnerable people, the aged with comorbidities, are the people who need it most. I was struck by a television and police version of events in St. Anne where a pastor defied the police for an hour and was eventually arrested along with four of her congregants for disobeying the Disaster Risk Management Act. Watching the events unfold, the actions and words of the pastor made no sense to me and I did not agree with what she said or did. But we need to view her actions in the totality of the circumstances. People are no longer convinced of the correlationship between the protocols and the slowing down of the coronavirus. If they comply with the protocols, there is a deep need that they face. In the case of the St. Anne Church, 
the congregation meeting face to face, not in online, but in the building with their sisters and brothers is what they think they need. If they comply with the protocols, they are agreeing to do without the emotional support that they regard as essential to their survival needs. This is a conversation that deserves to be had. I would like, however, to examine the story in Gethsemane to see what it offers us from the example of Jesus as to how to face a crisis and to overcome a crisis. Jesus faced the prospect of crucifixion at the hand of a cruel, despotic and evil regime. He faced the abandonment by his friends and the treachery of another. And he faced the fact that what that what he was experiencing was part of the plan of God. There is everything unrepeatable about what Jesus faced personally, but not the idea of facing a crisis. We all face crises in one way or another. We see the fact that Jesus triumphed on the cross that the violence never broke him and made him go to pieces. And when he was raised from the dead afterwards, he picked up the pieces and built a great future. So I believe that we who face crises can benefit from the example of Jesus in how to face a crisis. The first lesson offered from the story in Gethsemane is that company or people or even friends are not enough. Friends are useful to take along, but in the end, they will not measure up. The story does not condemn relying on company. And nowadays it is particularly difficult because we are facing isolation. We miss having people around and mingling with people. But the fact is that they can be overrated. Jesus had three experiences that remind us that it is not enough in the face of crisis to have friends. The presence of friends do not make it easier or make it go away. The first of the available friends of Jesus was Judas. He played a role of facilitating and assisting the enemies of Jesus. He was the guide, their guide who picked out Jesus. He did so in order to get some money. People will betray you. And while it is good to have them along, you have to bear that in mind. The second thing that happened came from his loud mouth and boastful friend, full of argument about loyalty, Peter. He abandoned Jesus, declined the opportunity to act in solidarity with Jesus in order to save his skin. He talked a great boast, but he ran away and left Jesus to face the music all alone. The third thing is perhaps the most egregious because all that was asked of them was to stay awake and watch and pray. They wanted to sleep. Judas wanted money. Peter wanted to be safe, but they just wanted to sleep. Jesus was not worth the effort for them to stay awake. If you look to company and friends when a crisis awaits you, you will be discouraged or bitter or betrayed. You have to come to it like Jesus with a compassion to say, the heart is willing, but the flesh is weak. People are people. They are weak and often unreliable 
And this has got to be part of your toolkit when you face a crisis. They will let you down. And if you expect too much, your burdens will become even worse. The second lesson from Jesus when you face a crisis is that you need inner spiritual resources to draw upon. All the synoptics gospels tell us how troubled and exceedingly sorrowful Jesus was. Luke says that his sweat became like drops of blood. And what did he do? He took some friends along, but he got to a part in the journey when he had to go it alone when he had to be alone and he threw himself on his face and he prayed intensely. His words were not many, the matter was too grave. In that moment, he cleansed his heart. He poured out his soul. He went to God and he surrendered to the will of God. Abba Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I, not as I will, but as, as thou wilt. Prayer is an underrated item in the toolkit of life. After a while, we feel it is something that only spiritual giants do, but it is also what simple people do. It is also what honest people do. It is also what humble people do. Prayer is a simple conversation from the heart. Jesus told his disciples to watch and pray, lest in the face of temptation they make the wrong choices. And as we know, when the crisis started, they fled and some of them lied because they lacked the inner strength to face the music. If they had prayed, they would have been prepared. If they had stayed and prayed, they would not have strayed when the right time came. Prayer is a habit and a discipline that prepares us in the time for the time of crisis. It is a place to build your inner strength, to give your heart and your soul a chance to exhale. What Jesus did was not superficial. It was not a mere duty, but it was an engagement with the impending reality in a way that involved his full consciousness. It is in this respect a human thing to do. It is a coming to terms in an honest way. It is a realistic assessment of what is ahead of you. And it is a cry to God for help to change the situation or to make you strong enough to face it. And it is the pathway of humility that recognizes that there are some things there are some times when bluster will not help you. There are things you cannot escape and you cannot change. You will have to face head on. And in that acknowledgement is a strength, is a resolve, is an organizing of your inner resources. What Jesus says in prayer indicates the most valuable instrument in our toolkit. It is, in a word, his surrender to God's will. It is first a philosophy of life that in the broad scheme of things, there is a will and purpose of God. 
This is not something on which there is universal agreement. We live in a world of discontinuity and fragmentariness in which it is the anecdotes, not the big picture that appear to matter. It is argued that there is no overarching narrative, no plan to which the events of our lives are conforming and in which they fit. If life is random and arbitrary, then we, take, we may take our chances, but there is no guarantee and no purpose. But we have to come to life with faith in God who is in control, with a view that we are not alone in the universe and that there is an intelligent mind who is in charge of the universe and the purpose that that mind has is a good one for good for all of us. Without that overarching consideration, we cannot properly face the crisis in our lives. There is no good outcome. There is no moral imperative, it is believed. It is a mere hit and miss game. I think that we have to work on our philosophy of history. Change is possible. Good is possible. It can conquer evil. We must fight on in doing good. This is what Jesus says in effect, that whatever happens in this crisis, it will advance the overarching purpose for good and for God. There is a good outcome, the salvation of the world. It is not an easy perspective to maintain. Life seems random. The arbitrariness and randomness of what life brings our way seem always, and worse than this, what is called the prosperity of the wicked seems so compelling. There is another side of humanity that are insulated and it is they that might be behind the crisis that is being faced, but they do not struggle or suffer as other peoples do. So how then do we speak of a will of God? But this is what Jesus does. He not only acknowledges the presence of God's will, but he agrees to submit himself to it. That is a valuable perspective on life, that God's son is the victim of violence and injustice, and he obediently pursues God's will in the midst of it. There is hope after all. The idea of the will of God also raises something else that leadership requires in order to face the crises. It is the idea that life has a bigger purpose than what serves my individual interest. The not my will. The let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but as you will. This is a crossroad to which those who face crisis must come. What is the good that I want, that I seek and that I serve? Is it the good that serves me, my needs, and my interests and the world as I see it and know it? Or am I open to something better, to something greater than what I want and what I can see? There are examples every day of leadership trapped in the cycle of its own self-interest. They battle for themselves and their ego needs alone. And each new crisis becomes an opportunity to feather their nest. This Jesus points us in a direction 
to free the future that beckons us from our self-interest, to take ourselves out of it, to want something that is not defined by how it suits us and serves us. This will of God is what young people need to pursue for their lives. It is in this me first world, our youth need to discover not my will but thine. God has a plan and a purpose that is best discovered when you cleanse your heart and pour out your soul and seek and surrender to God's will. That is how you will find yourself and make your mark on the world. God has a will for the world and a plan for the world. And the moment of crisis that we face is about settling the sacrifice that we are willing to make to play our part in that world that is to come. The last thing I say from the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane is that it is not a mechanical thing, but it is a personal one. The prayer begins, Abba, Father. This is the way little children address their fathers. It is roughly equivalent to our daddy or papa. Jesus, in the moment of the most profound crisis in his life, returns to what is foundational, the most significant and ultimate relationship of his life. We need a profoundly personal and intimate relationship with God for the crisis that life brings our way. And in that moment, we need to reckon with that relationship and to appeal to that relationship. All of that does not change the crisis. It changes our approach to the crisis and it changes the inner self with which we endure and go through the crisis. In this way, our dignity and our sense of proportion and our self-confidence are maintained in the midst of even the most profound crisis. And whatever happens during the crisis, we will come through stronger and better on the other side of the crisis. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.